It is November 20th. It's 2016. We're going to speak about the abundance of God's house today. The Lord told me a very unique word this morning. He gave me an encouragement. Pastor Wade and Pastor Matthew both shaped this message. So if you don't like it, you can take it up with them. But the word of the Lord for Eric Stevens this morning was preached to the softest among you, not the hardest. You've spent enough time trying to crack those eggs. The Lord says he'll deal with you. This morning I get to speak to those of you who want to be in the house of God. I get to speak to those of you who hunger for miracles like that. I get to speak to those of you who are unashamedly spirit-filled, in love with the Lord and could care less who knew it. It's not a private matter. Your affection for the Lord is a public matter. I get to speak to those of you who are being moved by the very Spirit of God because you love Him. You're not ashamed of Him. He's not in a corner hidden in a box in your life behind your favorite football jersey. He's everything to you. I bring you greetings from the one association of churches. The churches in Washington. The churches in Illinois. The churches in Louisiana. The churches in Texas. Even our churches abroad. They agreed on three oaths. They wanted you to hear them. So I want to give you the oaths of the churches of the one association. They say, having tasted of the age to come, I will never fail to boldly advocate for the personal and corporate manifestations of his gifts. They're never going back. There are 12 spirit-filled on fire pastors that are never going back. You'll never convince them to back up, shut up, let up. They have tasted. And now they are ruined for religion. They want the spirit of God. The second oath that they have come up with is having been adopted into the Holy Family. I will not rest until every nation in the world is represented before His throne. They're no longer selfish. They're no longer self-seeking. All they want to do is see others fall in love with the Lord the way they are. Is there anybody in this place that wants salvation among the nations? The third thing that they... Authorize me to bring to you. Says I will not be bribed, intimidated, or seduced away from the daily implementation of the undeniable truths of the scripture. If the Bible says it, that settles it. It's the end. The book of truth is truth for me. I will no longer stand and deliberate in the face of science, pressure, finances, any other thing. This book says it, that settles it. Are you proud to be in the one association? Yes. They are proud to associate with you. It is good to know that what is happening here is not a local phenomenon. It's a global movement. It's happening in the churches in Africa. It's happening in the churches in India. It's happening in South America. And soon it is coming to the churches of the Middle East that will be established through this movement. I'm telling you the sons of Persia are about to experience a release. The back of Islam will be broken. And those who love the Lord so much that they will not shrink back from death, they are going to carry the gospel right into the heart of the followers of that pedophile satanic prophet. And we will see victory. If that makes you uncomfortable, I'm speaking to the softest hearted among us. The Lord is not trying to scare you. He is compelling you with His goodness. See, when you know who He is, when you know what it is to be in His presence, when you have feasted on the abundance of His house, you're not worried about those who are clinging to a fear-based religion that promises fleshly gratification. What you want to do is see them liberated. You want to see the craziness in their eyes turn into the shalom of God. The hatred for the people of Israel turn into a knee bowed before the king of the Jews. In the name of Jesus, you hear me, it will happen. Amen. We're going to begin today with the message abundance of your house in Deuteronomy 29, 29. If we could place that on the screen, some of these are familiar to you, but I have recently remined 
some scriptures that I have yet to gain the depth of. I love the word of God. I thought I hated sin in years past. I hate it more now than ever. I thought I loved the goodness of the Lord in years past. I love it more now than ever. I thought this was an incredible book 23 years ago. But now I have found it is better than I had ever believed. If your Bible is getting smaller every year, if you have reduced the goodness of God to 10 or 14 or 5 essential truths, and that's how you see the word, you are so missing out. You are so narrowly focused that you're missing the goodness of God because my Bible is getting bigger every year. It is living. It is active. It is every day speaking to me. Something that was said to Isaiah in 700, applied to Jesus in the first century, applied to Paul near the end of the first century, is still speaking to me today. This book cannot be reduced to five points in a poem. And those that have tried to do it, to market it successfully to carnal goats, pretend the softest among us, to those who are misguided, it has failed. Once you have tasted of the goodness of God, you will not go back to the religion of goats. It's not going to happen. In Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29, the secret things, say secret things. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Who do they belong to? The Lord our God. He has the secret things. He has the mysteries, the enigmas. He has everything that you ever wanted to know, needed to know. He understands it all. Somebody say he's got it all. But the things revealed. Oh, come on now. They belong to us. And to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of the law. The Lord has the secret things, but he reveals them to us and our children. We are embarking on a generational campaign that will take the gospel to the nations. It's not about a single man, not about a single family. It is about the families of God uniting, the churches of God uniting, and through the generations being targeted for the battle for Jerusalem. We will see the gospel of the kingdom preached to every tribe, tongue, and nation in the world, but it is entirely dependent upon God's secret things being revealed to humble, ordinary people. The good news is he delights in doing it. Turn with me to Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, we're going from the law to the prophets. In the sixth chapter, in the first verse, in the year, I'll wait for you, I'm sorry. How are y'all doing? How are the soft-hearted ones out there doing? How many of you are proud to have a soft heart? How many of you like it when your eyes go wet in the middle of worship because you feel the presence of God? Let me ask you, what is the alternative? You want a hard, calloused heart? Keep sinning. It's all you got to do. You sin and it hardens and thickens your heart. You can't feel the presence of God and you will begin to resent those who do. You'll say they make it up. You'll say they're emotional. You'll say that you stand distantly, theologically, all to justify the hardness of your heart. But the soft-hearted among us, they see the Lord moving in everything. And you're excited because the only thing better than the Lord speaking to you is knowing that He's also speaking to your brothers. And together you'll accomplish His very great will. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord seated on a throne. How often is it in the midst of tragedy that we get to see something special? Oh my goodness, why is that? Well, let me ask you, how many of you got some lost relatives? They don't call you when things are going good. They're too busy watching their team of idolaters go out and compete with other teams of idolaters. They don't call you while that's happening. Oh, dear God, don't interrupt the ever-present football game, right? But let one of them get sick. Let somebody be in the hospital. Let aunt or grandma or sister or Susie get planted in the earth. And then all of a sudden, everybody's a Christian overnight. Oh, my, you don't know how they love the Lord. You're right, I don't know. Because I never saw anything. They never said anything. 
In fact, you who are talking about the Lord, what I hear you talk about most is the pagan idolatry that you revel in every week. Soft-hearted among us. In the midst of those situations, in the midst of death, in the midst of difficulty, Isaiah saw the Lord. It turns out that on your worst day, it can be your best day. It turns out that in the midst of what could be depressing and defeating, your eyes can be opened and you can get a glimpse of the heavens touching the earth. Oh, we serve a God who's got the secret things, but he likes to reveal them to you. And when you've got them, you've got them and they've got you. They've got you to the extent that you've got to give them to your children and your grandchildren. Little Titus right there is going to be a preacher. He's going to shake the Middle East for the Lord. You know how I know? Because it's up to us. He will be what Judah raises him to be. And Judah was raised to be what he is. It is up to us. This is not a random crapshoot. That's a game you lose money in in Las Vegas. This is a game you lose your life in and gain an eternity with. Oh, come on, saints. In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. When you get to see, when you get to feel, when you get to hear the Lord's sovereignty, it changes everything. I was in a little place called Pigeon Ford, Tennessee. People go there because they're in love with country music. They're in love with the landscape. They're in love with dinner theater, which to me is like hell on earth. In driving through the majestic Smoky Mountains, Jennifer and I pulled over on the side of the road in a national park, climbed down into a little ravine, and sat a folding chair right there. And the Lord began to speak to us about our future and our children's future. And all of a sudden, the words of Isaiah the prophet in the 49th chapter weren't about Isaiah anymore. They weren't just about Jesus anymore. They weren't applied just to the apostle Paul anymore. All of a sudden, they're directing our steps in the generations that will come from us. Oh man, right out of the midst of tragedy, the Lord can speak to you. I limped into Tennessee, but I sprinted home. Oh, come on, saints. In the midst of tragedy, the Lord can speak to you. He's high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Has his presence filled your temple today? Do you stand in the presence of God wondering why everybody seems so full and you seem so dry? Maybe you need to empty yourself of something. Maybe something's in the way. Maybe your pride. Maybe your ego, maybe your old stubborn, nasty, sinful heart. But I'm speaking to the soft-hearted today. Those of you who are full of the presence of God, can I say I want what you have? I want it. I want it with all of my heart. I want a sweet, sensitive spirit that longs for my fellow man to be in touch with him. I want you to have what I have, and I want what you have. In the name of Jesus, we can have it. The kingdom of God is being established on earth. Oh, man, I hadn't told you. I got to visit a lot of churches. And on the way, I got to visit with Christians from other churches. At a replica of the ark in Kentucky, we met people from every denomination. I hadn't seen Amish in this country ever, uh, except in furniture stores. And uh, we met with Amish. We saw Mennonites. Surprisingly, we found the Baptists. They're everywhere. And um, I'm proud of you. You come from every walk of life. Many of us come from different nations. We come from different places. And you know what? We found the same beautiful truth. That the Lord will reveal Himself to those who seek Him. That those who stand back, cross their arms and say, He doesn't speak. Well, He doesn't speak to them because of their hard heart. But that's not who we're talking to today. We're talking to those of you who have heard Him. Those of you who want to hear Him. Those of you who are enlivened by his presence, do you love him? In Habakkuk 2, 4, oh, no, no, let's finish Isaiah 6. I'm excited to be with you today. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another. See, even the holy creatures talk in church. Holy, holy, 
holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. How much of the earth is full? Have you ever seen something you said, man, look at that God-forsaken place? It's not God-forsaken. The whole earth is full of His glory. It's your job to see the secret revealed. It's your job to get eyes that see. It's your job to circumcise your ears that you hear. He has not forsaken anything. The earth is His. We need that revealed. We need to see it. We need to hear it. We need to know what our part is in it. He has hidden Himself so that you will have to seek Him to find Him. Habakkuk 2.14. We're going to put that one on the screen. You stay in Isaiah because we have more to go in Isaiah. Say, there's more. But wait, there's more. For the earth will be. Say, will be. Filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. The earth is already full of the glory of the Lord. But the knowledge of the glory of the Lord has not covered the earth. Because people have not sought Him. The more you seek Him, the more that secret revelation now belongs to you. Belongs to your children. You are taking back the planet for God. Every time you find out about His sovereignty, His beauty, His will in any situation... And when you get it, friends, it gets you. It's got you. It'll possess you. You can't let it go. You can't stop. Others might look at you and go, what's wrong with him? Well, I've been got. What's wrong with you? Oh, I get it. You had not been got yet. Keep going to your... We're going to preach to the soft-hearted today. How many of you soft-hearted in here? I just need to know who I'm looking at. Okay, there are a few of us. So, the goal then is that the earth is full of God. And because it's full of the glory of God, now what we want is we want it revealed to us. That glory belongs to Him, but He is showing it to people who seek Him. And the first thing that you want to do is show it to your children when you have learned it. It's the first thing you want to do because you went too long without it. You, you know what it costs you to get it. And one generation can give it to the next for free. So I'm not about to just can it and say this is all there is. I'm going to tell you there's more in the abundance of God's house. I'll give you all I've got, but you've got to go get more. Amen? Amen? Since you stayed in Isaiah, did you stay in Isaiah? Yes. Oh, the soft-hearted are doing good in the house of God today. Go to Isaiah 11. In the world to come, the Olam Haba, the world that will be. Man, you want to see a Fun verse in the King James? No, let's skip that one. You want to read something to make you giggle in the King James? Read Isaiah eleven eight. If you can do that with a straight face, you don't understand what you're reading. But if you happen to be in an NIV, a New American, say anything actually written in English, let's just pick up in verse 9. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. It turns out that Habakkuk was quoting Isaiah. He was saying that in the world to come, the earth will be characterized by everybody knowing the glory of God. Some of us have tasted of that glory now. And we want more. The whole world will be full of the glory of God. Do you want some? Oh, come on, like in Louisiana. Want some? (laughs) Look. The ancient proverb, don't start none, there won't be none. It's true of seeking glory as well. If you don't taste of God, you don't want more. If you have not been touched by heaven, of course this doesn't interest you. You can't wait to see what football team is coming on this afternoon because, let's talk to the soft-hearted. Once you've tasted of Him, you want more. You're not satisfied with what you've got. Having tasted You need more. So how many of you want more? You can have that. That is up to you. If you hunger, if you thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. You don't hunger. You don't thirst. You don't get filled. This church is supposed to be a filling station for the nations. You can't fill others if you're not full yourself. Now, some are full, but not full of what I'm talking about. But I'm talking to the soft-hearted today. 
Talking to you soft-hearted brothers, getting full of the Holy Ghost in here today. Let's go to Proverbs 25. That takes us law, prophets. Now we're in the writings in Proverbs, the 25th chapter. Let's pick up in verse 2. Actually, let's pick up in verse 1. These are more Proverbs. (laughs) There's more. These are more Proverbs of Solomon. Copied by the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah. From Solomon to Hezekiah is hundreds of years. They were still searching for more. And when they found what he had written, they wrote them down for us. They they weren't content to sit on what they had. They didn't say, oh, well, what was revealed to Wesley, that's enough for me. They took what Wesley did and they said, I got to have more. By the way, how did Wesley get what he had? With an attitude that said, I got to have more than the Church of England's got is not enough for me. Oh man, is your heart strangely warmed in the house of God today? I hope to set it on fire. I hope that you become an altar for the living God, that He will present heavenly fire upon you. Because when you are set ablaze for Him, the world will take notice. It's called letting your light shine before men. You will never walk by in this day and time. Somebody who religion is a private matter. You don't witness. You don't. We're going to talk to the soft hearted. If you do all of those things. If you simply live as submitted to the Holy Spirit. If you walk into the store expecting more than what you were going to buy. If you go to the car dealership expecting more than just interaction with a sale. If you want the glory of God to be revealed. He will show you that. You will find it in sinners repenting and coming to the Lord. You will find it in hard-hearted religious people broken in the presence of God. You will even find the glory of the Lord in people's rejection of your message. Because His glory will rest on your shoulders. You will see the glory of God in all that you are doing if you are led by Him. If you are not led by Him. I'm not preaching to you today because you wouldn't see any of it anyway. You could sit in service after service and do nothing but develop contempt. But we didn't come to talk to you today. We came to talk to the soft-hearted among us. Turn with me to Matthew 13. Let's read about some soft-hearted in the first century. When you get to Matthew 13, say, I'm there. It's a funny thing. In my 20s, I looked for a challenge. In my 30s, I thought it was my job to meet every challenge. Okay, I did that in my 40s too. But now at 41, I find great pleasure in just ignoring your challenge. It's like not worthy of mentioning. Now, when people attack and say ugly things, I'm more inclined to want to go, that's cute. And just walk away. You know why? There is so much glory to be had. I don't want to spend any more time with goats flinging goat stuff. I want to spend my time with those who have tasted the manna of heaven. Who want more. Who live for the next pearl to be revealed. Oh, y'all in Matthew 13? Amen. In Matthew 13, let's pick up in verse 11. He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. Oh, my. It's been given to you. How many secrets does he have? How much knowledge is the kingdom of heaven? What what is there that you don't yet know? How long could you mine the kingdom of heaven and still come up with new jewels? Every teacher of the law is like a man. If he's been instructed about the kingdom, it's like a man who goes into a storehouse and takes out old and new treasures. The secrets of the kingdom of God are being given to you, he said. Doesn't that make you want to know who the you is? The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. There's a big difference between the you and the them here. See, the you is the minority here. 
The you is the remnant here. You want to see what he says to a majority? Keep your finger in Matthew 13. Go to Luke. Go to Luke 11. And in Luke 11, watch what happens when he's building a megachurch. In Luke 11, pick up in verse 29. As the crowds increased, say they were getting bigger. As the crowds increased, they were getting bigger. Everything bigger has got to be better, right? As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. See, this is what Jesus says to the masses. He says, you're wicked. But do you know what he says to the private few who endure that message? who follow him home, who show up outside of his door, who knock, those who are there and want him, he says something different. He says, I will give you the secrets of the kingdom. See, God has hidden himself. He's in plain sight, but he's hiding from those who don't want him. Two people can look at the very same sermon and one hate it and the other feel touched by God. You know why? It's not for everybody. It's for the soft-hearted. It's for those who still want to be shaped by Him. Those that don't think they have it all figured out. Those who have not blinded themselves with their own sin and idolatry. Those who still say every day, Lord, shape me. And they expect something to change. In fact, a good way to examine your spiritual health is, is anything changed in a decade. See, if you are growing, you are changing. And if you are not growing friends in Christ, it's because you're already... I want to talk to the soft-hearted today. Those of you soft-hearted, the secrets of the kingdom are for you. Listen to what he says, though. He says in verse 12. We're back in Matthew 13 in verse 12. I know I preach like a spasmatic. I'm all over the place. I did tell you to keep your finger in Matthew 13. How many of you kept your finger in Matthew? Look at you soft-hearted. Oh, my goodness. To be able to take instruction in the house of God. That's a good thing. That's that's an example of a soft heart. We're not going to preach to the ones that come and don't want instruction. We're not going to preach to those who sit here to judge the ones that are speaking. We're not going to talk to them today. You probably go to the doctor the same way. To give him an exam, huh? No, let's stick with the soft-hearted. In Matthew 13, picking up in uh, verse 12, who, <laughs> who, whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. See, if you have a soft heart and he gives you one secret, do you know what happens? You want more and you get more. Because you hunger, he gives you more. Because your appetite has been wet for the heavens, you're not satisfied with the earthly junk food. You need the manna from on high. And what you have, he will give you more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken. Jesus is not speaking in riddles. I get that it's difficult. But if you just consider it, if you've tasted of heaven, you want more and you get more. If you have not tasted of heaven, the little bit you think you have, you will be found without on that day. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to those of you who want more. Because if you want more, you get more. Do you want more? Then you're going to get more. Wise men came from the east. In this book, in the book of Matthew, can you imagine... They were kings in their own right. They carried treasures in their own right. They already had. They'd been blessed by God. They'd been given to from God. And they intently searched the skies. They looked into the stellar heavens. And they discerned that the Messiah had been born from watching the creation. And they traveled from what the Bible calls the east. So the king of kings was not announced in Caesar's palace. He was not announced in the great halls of government. He's found a toddler standing beside his mother by kings that have come from the east. Those wise men that were seeking him, why would they do that? 
They had to have tasted something of heaven and want more. And friends, they're the first to arrive and give gifts to the king of kings. Do you think they got more than they gave? They got to see him. Nobody else in their land got to see him. They traveled a great distance to do it because he was worth it. Having tasted of the king, they wanted more. So they traveled across nations. They even faced a wicked king in Herod. They were warned in dreams. They were in communication with the Most High, so they got to see Jesus. Oh my, have you wanted to see Jesus? You won't find him on ESPN. But I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to those of you that are looking in this book, not in a five-minute quiet time, not as a structured part of your religious discipline. I'm talking about those that wake up thinking about him. Those that dreamed last night and were dreaming dreams of him. Those that are in a love affair with him. Not Those are the ones I'm talking to. I'm talking to those of you that still have a fresh love for him. Oh, man, when you do, the world is a better place. You could never get consumed with your own schedule. You could never get consumed with your own life. You couldn't become an introvert, not when you're in love with Jesus. When you're in love with him, you start to love everybody around you. You start to seek out others who are soft-hearted like you that might be able to receive and give revelation. Is that you? Can you receive revelation? Can you give revelation? Oh, man. Whatever the condition of your heart, you'll seek to be around people that are just like you. That's why I want to talk to the soft-hearted today. Listen to what he says in verse 13 about those who are not so soft-hearted. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them was fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and I would turn and I would heal them. And the question has to be asked, doesn't he want to heal them? Doesn't he want to save them? And every good Christian that grew up hearing about religion says, of course he does. No, he most certainly does not want to save those who do not want to seek him. He doesn't. He has no need of the hard-hearted that think they already have it figured out. That's why I'm not talking to you today. I'm talking to the soft-hearted ones. The people that he is looking for in the creation are more than willing to go, I've been wrong. I am so sorry. Please help me to get this right. And do you know what he does? He does. He helps you. He aids you. He transforms you. He changes you. He does it in year one of your faith and He does it in 40 years of your faith. You never stop learning. You never stop growing. You're ever the student and yet you're also a teacher. It is a beautiful thing. You have learned to receive revelation from God's house and give revelation from God's house. If I were preaching to the hard-hearted today, I would have you read Psalm 135, verses 15 through 18, but I'm not preaching to you today. And if I was, you wouldn't hear me anyway. We've proved that over many years. We're speaking to the soft-hearted today. Idolatry blinds you. It makes you like the idols. That's what it does. If you have your love and attention focused on things that cannot speak to you from the heavens, then they keep you from hearing from the heavens or speaking for the heavens. It's really that simple. A people who had a book memorized could not hear from God. A people who were the most religious on the planet didn't recognize Him when He was standing in front of them. He said, oh, those bad Jews. No soft-hearted person would say that because you would recognize your own weakness. The people that think that are not the ones we're preaching to today because something's wrong with them. If you've been touched from heaven, 
You say, oh God, I want more. I need more. There's so much more to be had. On this stage, there was a time a man sat right here. He put his arm around me and says, really, the truth is, all you really need to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And that's, that's all you really need to know. He proved that he's not the kind of man we're preaching this message to today. He proves that he is talking about something he has never tasted. Because if the confession actually came out of your heart, if you were saying he's Lord, if you were saying I have been touched by the throne of God, he is my sovereign, he's my owner, my controller, my master, you would never fight for a minimal understanding. You would want to see every part of Him. You would want to know every part of Him. You would want to experience Him in all of its depth. Listen, the Bible does reveal Him in all of its depth. We went law, prophets, writings. Now in the New Testament, we've been in the Gospels. Let's go to the New Testament book of prophecy. What book is that? In Revelation, the very title. Go to Revelation 1. The very title of the book of Revelation... The word, even in English, revelation, is about hearing from God. Now, when you look at this word, he could have said epiphania. This, uh, you've, have you ever heard the idea, uh, I had an epiphany? He could have called it the Christ epiphany. But they didn't. It's a Greek word. It's usually translated epiphania, the appearing. Some say the book of Revelation is about the appearing of Jesus. Well, it may be about the appearing of Jesus, but that's not its title. Some say it's about the parousousia, the coming of Jesus. But that's not its title, the appearing or the coming. Its title is the apocalypsis. Apocalypsis in Greek means the unveiling. See, there is a glorious veil that is torn. Jesus Christ presented the revelation that he got from the Father through an angel to John. And that, that, that was glory. It was how the ages would unfold. It was how the people of God would triumph. It is how He would establish His kingdom on the earth. The book ends with how God would dwell with man. Even the very title says that He wants to unveil from His house His treasures before you. How many have looked at this book and gone, I don't understand it? That's because you didn't seek Him in the other 65 See, the church has a bad habit of doing something. Has a bad habit of trying to lead with our best first. Of making all of the outside of the building pretty. Hoping that people will come in. We got a bad habit of making the parking lot look attractive. The outside of the building look attractive. Hoping that everybody will come in. God does just the opposite. He saves the very best for last. He says, if you're not interested in the parking lot, you'll hate the altar. (laughs) And if you love the altar, you won't care about the parking lot. There's a dirty little secret with the church world today, though. When they put their best on the outside, they're hiding what's on the inside. We'll come back to that. I want to preach to the soft-hearted. In Revelation 10, look at verse 7. Revelation 10 In verse 7. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished. The what of God? Just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. God announces his glory. He announces the mystery. But the masses don't hear it. And they don't hear it because their hearts are not right before him. But there's nothing in this book that should, survive, should surprise anyone who is truly hearing from him. In fact, in the letter to the Thessalonians, he said, this day will not surprise you. Right? It's going to surprise those who are sleeping. Those who are living right now, but it's not really life. They're consumed with their possessions. They're full of the pride of life. But we're not preaching to them. We're preaching to you who hunger for more. Do you want more? There's more yet to be had. Turn with me to 2 Peter. We'll finish in the writings of the New Testament. In 2 Peter, listen to how the faith is described. 2 Peter, the first chapter.
I was very encouraged to read Second Peter today because he was not writing to the hard-hearted either. Listen to his first verse. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, has received a faith as precious as ours. Look, I understand to some of you, what you've received is just not that precious. It's certainly not as precious as what I've received because it hasn't consumed your life. It's, it's, it's not everything to you. It's just, you know, a little part for you. But for the soft-hearted in this room, the faith you've received is as precious as what I've got. It's as precious as what Pastor Wade has. It's as precious as what Pastor Matthew has. Nobody will have to lie at our funerals. It's consumed and defined our life. It's consumed and defined our life. Do you know why? We've been consuming from the abundance of God's house. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His very own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Add to your faith. What are you supposed to do to your faith? goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, do you hear that the Bible is not becoming smaller, it's becoming bigger? Your faith is not so easily defined as just one sentence. In fact, it's consuming every area of your life. You know, I have to really work to, to identify a hobby in my life. <laughs> because my life is the Word. It is teaching the Word. It is hearing those who teach the Word. It is living in this. And that's true for the people I'm preaching to today. We can see it in the way that you invest your time. We can see it in the way that you invest your lives. We can see it in what you're doing with your children. We can see it in the missions that you participate in. We can see it in your life, the condition of your heart is actually painfully evident to everyone in your actions. That's true to the people that I'm preaching to today. And it's true for those of you I'm ignoring in this room today. But please don't think it's not obvious to everyone. The way you live shows exactly what your heart is like. I'm not the first to have said that. Jesus Christ himself said it. It is what the seventh chapter of Matthew is about. But I want to focus on the soft-hearted today. Let us go to Psalm 36. Psalm 36 is where I took the title of this message today. And it is a blessing. Psalm 36 was a song that Third Day made popular. But God bless them. As fun as that song is, it doesn't begin to touch it as David wrote it. Verse 5. Your love, O oh Lord, reaches to the heavens. Somebody say, how high are the heavens? Man, I don't know. How high is up? I went to the barber the other day and said, cut my hair short. Short for her and short for me. We're too different. Glad uh, I didn't say anything about my beard. It's subjective. How high are the heavens? High. They're as high as they need. Your love reaches... To the heavens. His love is able to reach as high as it needs to go. It'll reach even to those I'm not preaching to today. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the great. How deep is the great deep? <laughs> I don't know. The only area of this planet we haven't completely mapped is the ocean floor. I mean, things get ugly down there. It's dark. In the greatest darkness of the greatest deep, His love and faithfulness can reach you. He's not unable to speak, no matter how high or how low. Both high and low among men can find refuge under His wings. 
The question is not about his ability to speak to you. Cessationists are wrong. Those who believe that this has stopped are simply denying lives exactly like this one standing here. Those who don't deny it in their words, but deny it in their deeds because you haven't heard anything from the Lord in a decade. Well, I'm not talking to you today. Let me say this. As high as we need to go, as low as we need to go, high and low among men can be touched by God. So when's the last time you were touched? You probably will know it because it's the last time you felt the need to go bless others. See, when you've been gotten by him, you know it. It shows up in the way that you want to witness of him. You want to share of him. You're no longer covered in the shame that says I'm unworthy. You're no longer covered in the shame that says I sinned yesterday, I'm sinning today, and I plan to sin tomorrow. You have been touched by the heavens, and you want everybody to know you're free and they can be free. I know why so many hearts are hard. I want to speak to the soft-hearted today. I've spent enough time talking to you hard-hearted goats. In verse 7, how priceless is your unfailing love? Somebody say priceless. Priceless. Any of you girls got some bling on your hand? Because I can put a price on it. Let me tell you what, whatever you paid for it, whatever your husband paid for it, it's worth a lot less right now. Is that sad? You're proud of your three-carat monster or whatever it is. I ate five or six carrots this morning. They're good with ranch and bow cheese. You're proud of what you got. I get it. I mean, to you, it's a status symbol. You know what's a status symbol to me? What I got from the heavens. I have no interest in this rocks you dug out of the earth, but whatever. You need to know something about it, about your status symbols. I'm not preaching to you today. Let's talk about the priceless nature of God's love. Man, you know how you can call it priceless? Because you gave up everything of worth to get it. And once you got it, nothing else was worth anything. Did you uh, fall in love with the Lord and then spend the rest of your time recollecting your life? I've spent... 23 years losing my life. And the rest of my time is going to be spent exactly the same way. You know, if I were preaching to the hard-hearted today, I would say you have placed a value on God's love. It's not priceless to you. It's worth about as much as your ESPN channel. It's worth about as much as all of the idols that compete with it in your life. But I'm not preaching to that group today. I'm preaching to those who have found it priceless. To find his love priceless, both high and low among men, find refuge in the shadow of your wings. I have just a few more minutes. For some of you, that'll be too long, but that's not the group that I'm preaching to today. I'm preaching to those of you that love this. Check your watch every few minutes. You might as well leave your watch at home when you come to this church. And if you don't want to do that, you don't have to come. I mean, it's it's just fine. There are seven, does that surprise you? Seven definable layers to God's love. We're going to start with one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. You might not be able to read that with the glare. We'll turn it a little bit. He said, high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. What a beautiful concept that is. What a priceless concept that is. It turns out that when you approach the Lord... By the way, did you notice that we did the one on the right side of the board and the seven on the left side of the board? Yes. It's interesting how that works. Not only does the church put their best foot on the outside and they don't worry about the inside of the dish at all, We also read the wrong direction. We read from left to right. The biblical language is written from right to left. And when you do that, as you approach God, the first thing that you come to are the gates of praise. If you don't know it, we're talking about the tabernacle. Having come to the gates of praise, you progress to the altar. Having progressed to the altar, you then go to the laver. Having gone from the laver, 
You then approach the table of his presence or of bread. Having gone to the table, you then get to the menorah of God. Then to an altar of incense. And then to the very throne that is the ark. Let's talk about that for just a second. You want to feast on the abundance of his house? It begins by praising God in your situation. It's the step number one. He said these gates of praise always had to face the east. They always had to be there where the sunrise was. That's what he says. Having gotten to the gates of praise, the first thing that happens when you look at the goodness of God is you see your wretchedness. You can't help it. In studying his character and praising his greatness, immediately the Spirit begins to show you what has to die. The altar is where you learn to deny yourself, take up his cross, your cross and his. The scripture says your cross. Deny himself and take up his cross and follow Christ. It's Matthew 16, 24. That happens when you've compared your nature to his. Once that happens, you recognize this has to go. It has to go for me to follow him. Can I tell you, those of you who want more of the Lord, he wants more of you? He'll wake you up to pray. He'll tell you to turn off your television. He will tell you to stop talking to that relative that brings you down. He will tell you to invest time in him. If you're not willing to do that, you're not the one I'm preaching to today. Those of you who are willing to do that, you begin to praise him. And at this altar, he will show you what he wants from you. Having completed that, having done whatever he says to do, you move to a laver. This labor was made of melted mirrors. It was made of the abolishment of people's pride. Now you're looking into the labor that James says is the law, the word of God that brings freedom, and you're seeing yourself as God has restructured you to be. See, when you leave the altar, the old you died. Now at the labor, you're looking at the you that God is remaking with his word. Like... Gabby may have had a problem 10 years ago, but today God has reshaped that. Yesterday, Judah might have had an issue, but today that issue is dead on the altar and now he is what the word says. Gabby is what the word says. See, the soft-hearted are soft enough to be remade by God in this labor all of the time. Having been remade in the labor, you walk into the holy place. And in the holy place, which is circled in green here, you eat of his presence. To be able to touch the presence of God and be touched by the presence of God is what makes that labor have come alive. It's what makes you able to be remade. In the labor, you see the you that you're supposed to be. You see what the Lord is like. You see what he wants to do through you. But in his presence is where you find the strength to do it. Then the light of God's menorah, the fifth thing that you encounter, it shows you. It gives you the strength and illuminates each step that you take. The man who is standing in the holy place finds himself and an altar that is incense. I prayed for years and never felt like one prayer was heard. I had never heard from God, and I never felt like God heard me. That's because I didn't enter the right way. But once I entered the right way, not only could I hear Him, I knew that He was hearing me. How many of you soft-hearted know He hears you when you pray? Oh, my. What a special thing to have the audience of the king. This brings you into the very throne of God. Now, you know what's interesting about this? This very scenario here. This tabernacle is actually got on the inside linen with cherubim. After that, it's got a layer of goat hair. After that, it's got ram skins. 
After that, it's got something in Hebrew called the Tejas, which is unknown. Those of you on Monday nights, you may be familiar with this because you wanted more and you got more. What this would mean is that in, Deuter- in Psalm 36, when he says, both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings, is that if you went through this process, you would end up in the very throne room of God where there was a linen cover with winged creatures on it. In the sovereignty of God, under His love and His faithfulness, you would be in a very special, beautiful place. Now, from the outside looking at this, you would see an unknown animal. If you peel back a layer, you would see a substitutionary offering. You peel back another layer, you would find an offering for your sin. You peel back another layer and you would see the righteousness of Christ. But notice something, to the outside world, this tabernacle looked like an unimpressive, unknown animal. It's about 600 square feet, the size of a single wide trailer. The entire complex is the size of a dollar general. It's about 11,000 square feet. Not, Not the Trump Tower, not Taj Mahal. An unimpressive, unattractive thing. It's almost as if he's not using beauty or majesty to draw you. So when you looked, you would see something that was unknown. But as you look deeper, you would find a substitutionary offering. Look deeper, you would find your sin offering. Look deeper, you would find the righteousness of God and how beautiful. Of course, when you're standing inside it, it's all beautiful. It's all glory. When you're standing outside, it's just ugly. Consider what the church has done. It's put our best first. If you reverse this process, do you know what we have? We have beautiful on the outside. We have a sin offering just under the surface of the skin. Then we have a substitutionary offering never made under that. And then we have something unknown to God. That's what's all around us right now. The other thing is, not only have they not approached from right to left, they have tried to approach from left to right. Let me go to the throne of God. Let me have the sweet-smelling incense. Let me have all that is His presence. Then I'll wash... Then I'll let something die. Then I'll praise Him. That is approaching God from the wrong way and you can't get there that way. Do you want to dwell with Him? Do you want to feast on the abundance of His house? Those of you who are soft-hearted can. We've now come to a closing place in our message. I said that it was going to preach an hour and unusual for me today. I've done it. I want to close with verse 8 and 9. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. They feast on the abundance of your house. To those who are eating of the Lord, those who are receiving from Him, there is an abundance. To those who are not eating of Him, it's a, a, a famine out there. You can't contact Him. You haven't been contacted by Him. So you make up something to your own choosing. Friends, can I tell you the abundance of the Lord's house, the river of His delights, is beautiful. It is beautiful. In just under two hours in Tennessee, the Lord laid out for my family and several other families and a family of churches at least a couple hundred years of labor. He has laid out for us a battle plan on a global level for the people of God. He has revealed to us from the secret place of the Most High. Can we flash that map for just a second? This beautiful area of the world. Did y'all see it? Do you see this in yellow here? You can take it down. I would explain it to you but I'd rather have you ask. So I'm going to just let that go. Do you know why? I had to go into the third heaven to get it. I had to go into the very presence of God. And if I did it, I'm going to tell you, look into it. I bet you'll get insight. Too long have we thrown out table scraps and you lived off of them. You want more? Ask for it. I'm going to stop preaching to people who don't want more. 
and spend all of my time with those who do. I am so glad to be among so many who are soft-hearted. We close with this verse. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. I want to tell you, church, if you can simply get into the presence of God, and you can, everything becomes different. You suddenly see a purpose to your life. You see a purpose to the lives of the people around you. Your life begins to make sense. There is passion in your step. There is direction in your step. Everything becomes more fulfilling. If you don't see the light of God, the glory of God around you, it's because you are not in His light. But if you're in His light, you will see light. Do you hear how beautiful that is? Mm -hmm. Every man, both high and low, can be right there at the throne of God. Everyone can. Those four skins, they are, are all are Jesus. But there was a fifth, a veil that prevented you from going in there. And in Matthew 27, 51, at the death of Jesus, it was torn forever. Because five is the number of grace, and it is the grace of God that will let any man go in there. He hid himself in that room. He only let one man once a year go in that room. All of the others had to wonder what happened in there. All the others wished they had been born in a family that would let them get there. All of the others wanted there. And he let no man except one in there. You know why? Created a great desire. He hid himself. And then in the fullness of time, he opened up that curtain and said, anyone who wants it can have it. The question is, do you want it? If you do, you can find refuge under the shadow of his wing.